Amen. One of the things that we, uh, you, I, you may or may not know this, but the Lord put you on my heart a whole lot just in my prayers to pray for you and to lift you up so that things will be awesome with you, that things will just be great with you. And uh, I mean, a lot of times I'm sitting there and the Lord will bring up somebody specifically or bring up the church and he'll say, hey, I want you to pray for them. I want breakthrough to happen for them right now. And uh, he'll talk to me about that stuff. And so you have somebody that believes in you and that's praying for you all the time. And we as a people are praying for you uh, all the time. We're praying for you and lifting you up. And many times I want to see the supernatural. You know, things, things don't happen in the earth without prayer. It says nothing happens uh, it, except that the Lord shares it with his prophets. When we pray, we're actually prophesying that the will of God would be done. So people that pray, they'll move into that place of prophecy, and this is how the will of God is done. And I want you to know that people are praying for you all the time. Amen? They're lifting you up here all the time, praying for your protection, praying for preservation, praying for provision, praying for restoration, praying for deliverance. Praying just for the supernatural to be in your life. And uh, you, I think it'll be interesting. Uh, and, and it's not all just our prayers. God's merciful. God has a plan. I think a lot of times, uh, I think we're going to be surprised when we get to heaven and just see just how much God has done for us. Like, you know, all those times when we were sitting there like, oh, Leo, I wish it could be better. And then when we actually like replay the tape or in heaven, do they have tape or... Is it super digital, supernatural digital? I don't know. But whatever it is that we see, I think we're going to be sitting there and we'll almost be embarrassed. Like, how in the world did I ever complain? You know, because you are so good and so merciful. How did I complain? You were working on my behalf all the time, right? And this is why we can always be thankful, amen? We can always, always be thankful. One thing I want to tell you is this. We're going into this new year. Y'all are quiet this morning. You're going to have to change that. All right. Just thought I'd let you know. Amen. That's a little better. Amen. <laughs> Amen. So everybody got full over Christmas. I, I know I jumped on the scales this morning, and I was like, ooh, Christmas week. And uh, that was... Um, and sitting around snacking. We did have a little bit of exercise because I took out all my family in the Nerf War. So it was good. Uh, and I made them surrender or else I held them down and tickled them. Isn't that right, Abigail? Yeah. Until they surrendered. Until they yielded. Uh, she, on the other hand, didn't surrender, but she became a casualty of war. <laughs> she was like, I'm a casualty of war. She banged her head on the chair. It was awesome. And uh, it, was, it was lots of fun. And, uh, but one of the things going into this new year, have you ever, I don't know about you, but I found that uh, people that are sensitive to the Holy Ghost and the moving of God recognize this is a moment. This whole year has been a moment. And something significant is happening in this moment. Something significant is happening in this moment. Uh, the series we preached for a large portion of the year was it's time for an awakening. It's time. The church is not awake yet. I think the process has started. 
But the church is not awake yet. If the church was awake, they'd be full, no matter what anybody says. The church is not awake. And if the church isn't awake, the world won't be awake. But it's time for an awakening and an end-time harvest of souls. An end-time revival, but not just a revival. A revival will affect maybe a city. We're talking about an awakening that, that is across the world of the fire of God lighting up the world. But the church has to take responsibility for it. The church has to take responsibility for it. And let me tell you, if you feel no responsibility for being who you're called to be, then you need to check your salvation. Then you need to check your salvation. With fear and trembling, the Bible says. If you fear, feel no responsibility to win souls and make disciples, you need to check it. Because you might not be it. And I don't want you to get in front of him and find out, Lord, Lord, he says, depart. I never knew you. You don't do what I say. You need to check it. It's time to wake up and get serious and quit playing fleshly games. Selah, which in Psalms means chew on that a little bit. Huh? That's the southern translation, yeah. You're in North Carolina, and that's southern. Chew on that. Meditate on that a little bit. It's time to get serious. Well, heading into this new year, recognizing it's a moment. And why would I talk to you like that? Because it's time to get serious. It's a moment. Heading into this new year, the Lord has instructed us, like he does most years, to have a 21-day uh, fast. Yeah. Now, there's different kinds of fast when I say that. Don't shrink back in your chair and pretend you're not here and hope I can't see you and be like, hey, you were there that day. I remember I told you. No, just there's lots of different kinds of fast. One that's really good is where you have one meal a day. So every day you don't eat till like after 6 p.m. It's called a 6 to 6 fast. And, uh, but here's what we want. We recognize as a church we want participation from everybody. From everybody, uh, here, here's a let me, you know, here. Ding, ding, ding! Breaking news: You won't die if you fast. <laughs> you won't die. We've proven it to be so. We've proven it to be so. You won't die even if you fast for forty days. Did you know that? It's happened multiple times. Twenty-one day fast. For me, I'm not having any solid food for 21 days. That's what I'm doing. And I tell you that, uh, not, not to brag, but to be an encouragement. One of the things that when the Lord led me to do an extended fast, I found out that uh, most of the church, as soon after I did the first extended fast and then the second extended fast, uh, which both were for 40 days, and uh, as soon as I did those, I, the Lord said, I want you to talk about it. I was like, but your word says don't talk about what... The fast, he says, well, how do you know to, how do you know to fast? And I went, because your Bible talked about it? And I was like, <laughs> he said, yeah, preachers talk about it. <laughs> and what I found was that the majority of the church in America has never fasted. They hear about it, and they, and they talk about it every now and then, but very little. You got very few preachers that are talking about fasting because very few preachers have been fasting. And so all of a sudden, the Lord said, I want you to talk about it. And no wonder he wanted me to talk about it. Nobody was doing it. 
in the American church. We had a few people in here, but a large number of people came up to me and said, I've never pastored before. I was like, oh man, you don't know what you're missing. It's awesome. When you get into a fast and you're sitting there with God, all of a sudden it's kind of like this. I don't want to stop, which is crazy to your flesh. Your flesh is not saying that. Your flesh is like a, a spoiled you know, toddler throwing a tantrum. Uh, tantrum. But, uh, but your spirit man is like, oh, I don't want to stop this. I'm longing for it. Why? Because you step closer to the presence of God when you fast. You can just look at Isaiah 58, starting about verse 3, and read about six or seven verses. And there are so many benefits to fasting. And here's what we want as a church. You don't have to do a full food fast like I'm doing. You know, if you do that uh, one meal a day fast, the issue is you'll still fill it. You will still fill it. But I'll be praying for you. And, um, but <laughs> you'll still fill it. But you'll still have energy to you know, do your normal schedule and stuff like that. But what we want is everybody to do something. Everybody to do something. Something in it. You can have, there's all kinds of fast. And one thing that I would highly recommend that you do is go to uh, the Connection Show or ConnectionShow.org, which is a show that Nicole and I do sometimes. And in it, we did a whole series called Fasting 101. And uh, I think there's like three broadcasts on that to teach you what it is, how to do it, and how to believe God for supernatural strength in it. Because that's something I had to have or I wouldn't have made it through those fasts that I did. And so it's, it's not as bad as what your flesh thinks, it, but it is, can be as good as what your heart will give itself to. And if we as a church say, Lord, this year, we are consecrating this year and we're stepping it off with a fast in that way. What can the Lord do? Oh, what can't he do is a better one. So we want everybody be praying on that. We'll start next weekend. Uh, some, some people can start on the first or the second or, or the third, whichever one you want. But then we'll go for, we'll have 21 days of fasting. Amen? Amen. Glory to God. Are you excited about that? Yes. Are you sure? Yes. <laughs> Who's speaking there? <laughs> Your flesh man or the spirit man? The spirit man, yeah. Your flesh man's like, <laughs> I don't think I like you, Pastor. And that's okay. I don't like the flesh man either. That's all right. But the spirit man, the spirit man is stronger than what you think. And if you fast, you know what it says? It says that when you fast, it breaks every yoke. How many people would like to not be held back this year? You would like for the chains to be broken and go to a different level. Well, glory to God. One way you can step right into that and kind of kickstart that thing off is by fasting. Another thing it says is your light will break out like the dawn. Light always uh, goes in terms of revelation. In other words, you need to know what to do and what not to do, where to be, where not to be. Your light will break out. You'll start to hear and see from, from the Lord. You'll start to know things that you didn't know before, right? You'll start to know things, and it'll happen quickly. It'll happen. That's another thing about fasting. It brings it about fast. Amen. Glory to God. So, amen. We just praise God for you, and I'm excited to hear the testimonies that come through it. Uh, today, we're going to talk about being unfazed, unfazed, standing in, in the face of, of adversity, being unfazed.
being unfazed. Uh, the last two mornings as I woke up, I felt the Lord talking to me, and, and honestly, all week long, I was kind of like, hey, Lord, I, I finished all the series you wanted me to preach, and uh, I don't know what you want me to preach. I, I've got, I got no direction for this Sunday. So all week, I'm sitting there, and Christmas is going on, and everything's going great, and, but I'm, I'm thinking, what do you want me to preach on this Sunday? You know, right after Christmas, everybody's got their belly fulls. They're looking at me like a cow stares at a new gate. Everybody's quiet. People are still out on the road and not here. Last week it's full. This week it's half full because everybody's traveling. It's like, what, what do you want me to preach on? And I didn't realize how much of a message he had for you this morning. I'm telling you, I sent out a note this morning, and I said, come with your expectation on because the last two mornings, as I, as I woke up, the Lord started talking to me about the church. And he started talking to me yesterday about the church and today how he wants the church to be unfazed. Unfazed. Can you be a person, have you ever seen somebody who's standing in the middle of a trial and it's like nothing phases them? They're just unfazed. I mean, they're like, they're just strong. Anybody ever seen somebody like that? They're just strong. Like, it's like, how do you rattle that person? And, and it's not because they were always were that. A lot of people think that it just is something they're born with. No, it's something that you do the right things and you can get to that place. Because no matter who you are, you can be connected to God. And if you're connected to God properly, you can be unfazed. And the devil can throw whatever he wants to and you're not moved. You're not emotional, you're not, you're not, all you are is full of life, full of joy, and unfazed, unshaken. It happens when you are founded on the things of God. In Hebrews, uh, I believe it's chapter 12, it talks about there'll be a shaking, but it says the things that can be shaken will be shaken. But see, if you're founded on God properly, you can't be shaken. You can't be shaken. That's a good place for an amen. 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 See, I have to, have to get my own this way this morning because you are being quiet. All the food you've been eating. You can be unfazed. You can be unfazed, unshaken. Turn to Matthew chapter 16 and verse 13. I want to see you, show you a couple of things. Matthew chapter 16 and verse 13. Would you like to be unfazed? Full of life. Now, I'm not talking about somebody who's, who's a robot. And, and, and all of a sudden, you know, everything comes in and they're like, I'm not phased. That's not what I'm talking about. They got no emotion, no passion, no nothing. I'm not talking about being a robot. I'm talking about being unfazed, yet full of life, full of joy, full of an overflow. And yet, immovable, unfazed, unfazed. Matthew chapter 16, and verse 13. It said, now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he was asking his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist and others Elijah, but still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? 
See, what becomes important to us is not what other people say, but what do you say? It's not what other people know. It's what do you know? Who do you know? Who do you know? Who do you know and who do you know well has a lot to do with whether or not you're phased or unfazed. God's calling us to be unfazed by trials, situations. Actually, he's given us right in the middle of the trial and the situation a way to stand strong and come out in victory. Come out in triumph. Matter of fact, we're, it's not just that we're not unfazed. We cause the enemy to be phased. We cause the enemy to change. We cause the devil to rock back on his heels. Because we're strong in the Lord and the power of his might. It's not, you know, so a lot of times people will say, well, well, pastor might be unfazed. You know, unfazed by that. But listen, you can be too. You can be too. But see, if all you do is you just quote what I say, but it never becomes a part of you, then I'll be unfazed, but you'll be phased. You've got to get it for yourself. Well, who does pastor say that Jesus is? Well, that's good, and it's good to listen to that if it's truthful. But the question is, who do you say that he is? Do you have your own revelation of Christ? Do you have your own revelation of who Jesus is? Or is it just lip service? Is it just words? Is it, is it just check the box on Sunday morning? Or is it real to you? When we wait upon the Lord, are you just waiting for it to get over? For goodness sake. Or is there a relationship there? Oh, Lord. Your presence is precious to me. Father, your presence is precious to me. Oh, it's so good. Whether he preaches today or not. Whether, Lord, it's just so good. You, Lord, you're what I want. Your presence is what I want. It's not who other people say. What do you say? doesn't matter if you're a parent or a youth. What do you say? Who is he to you? The other day, Abigail came to me about Nicole's pre you know, Christmas present. And uh, she, said, she said, Daddy, I don't know what to do. I had these plans, and they, are, they have fallen through. Uh, is it just me? Or what, did people have packages delayed all over the U.S.? Like, oh, my goodness. I thought they had this stuff together. <laughs> Man, I, I ordered some presents, two or three presents. I ordered three different times from different places, and, and still some of them didn't get here. It's amazing what didn't come through anyway. So a package came through or didn't. Her present that she had planned, it was just not working. It was just not working. And so I said, I said to her, I said, she said, I don't know what to do. Do you have any ideas of, you know, about mom and what I should get her? Now, granted, this is like three days before Christmas, so good job, Abigail. And, uh, <laughs> no. But she had, been, she had been believing God for it to work out, and it did work out. She did exactly what she needed to do. She was hearing from the Lord and trusting. But I told her, I said, you know, in other words, she came to me, which is good, and it's good to get that input. But I said, listen, I said, Go ask the Lord. If I were you, I'd go upstairs, go to your room, and uh, in a good way, go to your room. <laughs> go to your room, spend five minutes with the Lord, and ask him, what does he think? She came down. She had a great idea. We found it for a great price. 
right? I mean, she paid all the money she should have for it. It was, and she found it for a good price. And then it was, it was not slated to get here till the day after Christmas, but it actually came the day before Christmas. I mean, God, God came through. It was beautiful. And why? Because she wasn't just in a relationship with Jesus, with my Jesus. She was in a relationship with her Jesus. Who do people say that I am? Who do you say that he is? Who do you say? It's got to be real to you. It can't be your parents. It can't be your friends. It can't be your other churchgoers. It can't be your pastor. It's got to be you. It's got to be your relationship. Then he says, Peter said, he said, who do you say they am? Simon, verse 16, Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, which if you know anything about that word, what Peter was saying is, you are the Messiah, the promised one of God, but it goes further than that. That word, when he said it that way, here's the revelation that Peter was saying. You are the anointed one of God and you are carrying that supernatural, powerful anointing to set the captives free. And so that it was a power-packed word. Christ is not just Jesus' last name, right? It is, a, it is who he is. It is what he's called to. It is what he's carrying and it is what is available to the world so Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father who is in heaven. In other words, he had spent time and he had gotten some revelation from the father. And you have to understand that when, this, when the word comes alive to you, this is the same word. Uh, that Jesus said, uh, man shall not eat of bread alone, but by every alive word or revelatory word. In other words, this had become alive to Peter, alive to him. He had spent time with God, and now he had something. You are the anointed one, and you are the anointing that will set people free, including me. You are the Christ. You're my Savior. Watch what Jesus says. He says, hey, you didn't, you didn't get that on your own. He says, I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock or upon this revelation that you just said, I will build my church. I will build my church, and the gates of Hades or hell will not overpower, let me put it in context, the church that lives on this rock the church that lives on this revelation that he's the Christ. He says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Now, when he uses the word church, it's the first time he's ever used this word, and this word was not a Hebrew word. It was actually a Greek word that the Romans were using. And here's what it meant. The word church meant a called out group of citizens to set the rule and the law in an area. Church was not a called out group of citizens and non-citizens. Church was not sit at home. 
church was called out to assemble together to set the rule. I'll just point you to this. This year, what's the first thing the devil did to attack the earth and attack the planet? Let's lock down everybody and keep the church unassembled. Unassembled. Why? Because a church assembled, the gates of hell cannot prevail against. But if they are unassembled, the gates of hell can. And the gates of hell did. But it's a moment in time where the church has to decide that they are the church. And they have to step up onto the revelation that Jesus is the anointing. Jesus is the anointed one. The one carrying the power and the provision. And he is my savior. And he is powerful. And he will heal me. He will deliver me. He will set me free. He will restore me. He will protect me. He'll heal and provide for me. That's who he is. And when the church gets that and they assemble together, they, watch this, the church can set the rule in the area. Unfortunately, much of the church in America has not known this and they've allowed the spiritual rule to be passed to others. And so the spiritual rule has passed to people that weren't the ambassadors of God. And so you see the spiritual rule being fumbled and all of a sudden things happen and we wonder what happened. The church has got to be the church. Called out citizens, assembled to set the rule. How does that happen? Well, it happens when I preach to you. you. You learn. When I preach the word, you'll start to hear things that you didn't know before. You'll get revelation of things that you didn't have before. You'll start to go places in that relationship with God that you didn't go before. When a, when a preacher preaches the word, the foolishness of preaching releases the power of God. Then that those people who are growing in the things of God, then they come together and pray. And in those prayers, they lay down the law of what's going to happen in this area and what can happen and what can't happen. And they pray it out. And as they fast and pray, these things are enforced. And a church handles its business. Now let me tell you something. Did you know that we are going to be held responsible for what we allow or don't allow as a church? Did you know that you're going to be held responsible for what you allow or didn't allow as a church? That means how seriously you take the business of being the church that you are being looked at, and are you, do, are you praying? Are you growing? Are you giving yourself to God or not? The Bible shows us that it's our responsibility to do it. But yet, I've seen so many times where we just, we play with that, and we think that coming here on Sunday morning is all that there is, and we even play with the assembly. In Hebrews 10, it says, look, as the days get closer and closer to the end of the age, don't forsake the assembling. Don't play with it. Why? Because the assembling in itself is important. Don't forsake it. Don't forsake it. Your praise could break the chains off of the person sitting next to you. The assembly was important in Acts 16, I believe it is. 
where Paul and Silas, they're beaten for preaching the gospel. They're thrown in the deepest dungeon. And in the middle of that, they were unfazed. They were unfazed. In the middle of the dungeon, beaten. Thrown in the inner dungeon. And what they start doing? Glory to God. They start praising the Lord. Unfazed. All of a sudden, the power and the presence of God enters that Philippian jail. Boom. All of a sudden, it, it enters in. It enters in. And the chains come off of every one. The chains break off of every prisoner. The chains come off. Their praise, their praise breaks the chains off. How important was the assembly that day when Paul and Silas said, Let's just have church right here, you and me together. And the assembly of two saints in the middle of a jail that started ministering to the Lord set the whole captive, captives free in the whole prison. And guess what? The Philippian jailer was born again and started the Philippian church. Hallelujah! Started a church in the middle of a jail. Because of, not because of just doing some earthly natural things. No, they started to praise God. Supernatural things occurred. They worshiped. They worshiped. They were unfazed. Go, go back a few chapters to Matthew chapter 5. Verse 13, Matthew 5, 13. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. The salt was preservant. Salt basically does two things. You put meat into salt, it will take out all the moisture that will cause that to degrade it will preserve that meat the church he's talking to the church the church is the preserving factor in the earth you realize if you remove the church right now this whole thing crumbles you know what you get tribulation when you remove the church in the rapture what's next the tribulation it's the preserving factor when the church assembles on the revelation that Jesus is the anointed one in his anointing. The gates of hell cannot prevail against it. The church is the preserving factor. We're called to be that preserving factor. We're called to be unfazed. We're called to be it. Not only does salt do that, but also if you know anything about the science of cooking, when you add salt to something, it brings out all the flavors. It brings out all the flavors. That's why salt tastes so good. Salt and butter in everything. Just ask Julia Child. Salt and butter. It brings out the flavors. See, when we come into a room, we're supposed to draw out the goodness of God in every situation. Bring out the flavor of his love the flavor of his goodness, of his mercy, of his, of his joy, of his peace. We're supposed to draw that out. Let the people experience it. You're the salt. 
He goes on to say, you're the light of the world. That light cast out darkness. The church is designed to be the salt and the light. The salt and the light. The salt and the light. The preserving factor. And it's a witness and a hope. See, the church is supposed to be the ones that carry the hope of God. That carry his hope. That no matter what happens or how dark the earth gets, in the middle of the darkness... There's a light, and that light is that salt. It's the church. And all of a sudden, people can look around and they can see all the darkness that's happening. But in the middle of that, they're like, but there's a light in this. There's a hope in this. There's something to look forward to. That's what the church is supposed to be. That's what the church is supposed to be. To be the salt and the light, the preserving factor, a witness and a hope. Oh, these things can change. It can get better. There's something different about these people. What's, what is that? So when a year like 2020 happens, we're not supposed to be beat down with everybody else, phased by all the garbage. We're supposed to be unfazed. Oh, but it's been dark in the world. But know the light and I let the light shine through me and I know who we are this will not stay the same it will change because no matter what happens God's on the throne and his promises are still alive today no matter what it looks like I still have a promise to be saved from any situation that I find myself in. I have a promise to be healed. I have a promise to be delivered. I have a promise to be restored. I have a promise to be provided for. I have a promise to be protected. I have a promise that I can be connected to God. I have a promise. And if I will look more at the character and nature of God and the promise, then I look at the darkness, then I will be unfazed and be the salt and the light that the earth is so longing for. That's who we are called to be. Not just me, we. We. Look at that church. They're unfazed. They're always smiling. They always have hope. They always have joy. So what is so different about them? It's not who do you say that he is. Who do we say that he is? As your faith is, so be it unto you. I have faith in a good God, a loving Father, who gives me a reason to be unfazed. No matter what I see, no matter what I feel, he gives me a reason to be unfazed. Turn with me to uh, 1 Timothy 3, 15. 1 Timothy 3, 15. The church. Here my mic touching his desk. 1 Timothy 3, 15. Look at what it says. This verse is also talking about the church. It says this. It says, but in case I'm delayed, I write to you so that you will know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God. 
the household of God, which is the church of the living God, which is the pillar and the support of truth. The church is what's upholding truth. It's supporting truth in the world. You know, I remember as a kid hearing that in the, in the last times, bad will be called good and good will be called bad. I remember thinking that, that that's, how could that ever be? I just couldn't foresee a day when we would call untruth truth and we would call truth a lie. But man, have we entered into it in this season? It's like we went and we went and we went and then in five years, ten years, we fell off the edge of a cliff and now everything that actually is truthful and good, they're calling bad. And what's actually bad, they're calling truth. And, and claiming to be scientific and yet throwing science out the door at the same time. It's like whatever I want to believe, I will believe. Do you realize those, those are the tenets of worshiping Satan? Is I'll believe what I want to and I'll do what I will. I do what I want to do and I'll believe what I want to believe. That's the, that's the structure of Satanism. Whereas the truth of God will set you free. God wants people to be free. Luke chapter 2. You know, Peace on earth, goodwill towards men with whom he is pleased. Why? Because Jesus, the truth, came into the world. The church is the pillar and the support of truth. But if the church won't stand up for truth, then the world won't be free. They won't be free and the world won't be free. It's a time in our society to be who God has called us to be and not be held back anymore, but to be everything that he's called us to be. To uphold the truth, to be the salt, to be the light, to assemble and worship him and to grow in him and set the rule of law in the area. Because if you handle that rule of law spiritually, it'll be handled in the government as well. And so what does the devil do? He knows all of this. So he comes after the church. Let me try to shake them. Let me try to rattle them. And here's what we found out in this year. Let me give you some truth. What we found out in this year was that things that the American church had stood on we're not a foundation of God at all. Matter of fact, it was far from it. And so the stuff that we thought we knew wasn't. Now it's been in the word the whole time. And the Lord started giving us some light on it a few years ago when we changed the structure of our church based on it. And praise God we did because had we not had that foundation, we wouldn't have made it through 2020. Matter of fact, though, we at 2020 truly became our best year yet. <laughs> our best year yet. What is it? Over 22, is it, what is it? Over 21, huh? 2101. Commitments to Christ this year alone, even with the lockdown. Over 2100. In a year with a six-month lockdown, basically. It became our greatest year. 
A year when I looked out into the eyes of the people at Boomerang and I saw hope coming back at me. I saw faith coming back at me. I saw the love of God poured out. And I'm sitting here as a pastor like, oh my goodness, this is what we're after. So when the darkness and the deep darkness covered the earth, what I saw even as a pastor looking into the eyes of you was hope and light, salt, a pillar of truth. But I'll tell you, we've only just begun. Yes, it was a good year, but I feel like we, okay, good. We graduated first grade. Let's go to second now. Let's step it on up. Because there's more. There's the more of the glory of God. If you go into Isaiah 60, you see that when that deep darkness comes, God does this. He pulls up his church. He goes like this. He says, come here, church. Come here. And now, let me give you my glory. And he pours his glory out on the church. And the anointing of God comes over. And we shine like never before. Amen. Thank you. We shine like never before under his glory. God says, oh, I got an answer for the darkness. Let me pour out my glory on the church. You see, the church is a part of God's plan. It's a part of his plan. But Watch this. I got to be who God's called me to be or else I won't be. I mean, that sounds silly and, and trivial, and but... It's true, if I don't actually become what the Bible says that I'm to become and do what he's told me to do, I won't be in the position, I'll be an onlooker. But I won't be able to stand in front of Jesus and say, I was there and I was doing what you told me to do. I was praying, I was fasting, I was growing in you, I was a pillar of the truth. I was, I was the one that you poured out your glory on. Let me be one of the ones that carries the witness into my workplace. Let me be one of the ones that carries the light of God. Let me be one of the ones that is the salt and the light. And people see hope on my face when the world, see, if we look like the world, then we have failed. If we look like the world, phased, then we've missed it. But when we start looking like Jesus with hope, now we've gotten on track you don't have to go there I just want to go through God wants us unfazed standing strong in adversity and darkness the salt and the light pressed but not crushed 2 Corinthians 4 7 8 and 9 but we have this treasure in earthen vessels so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. In other words, while we're in this age, one of the benefits that we have is we've got to trust on God. And if we will trust on God, I couldn't do it by myself. People will look on and say, you're just a man, you're just a woman. And they'll say, you couldn't do this by yourself. There's no way. And you'll say, I know, it was God. It was his goodness that changed it. It was his glory that was poured out. And this is the unfazed uh, way that we should be. Verse 8 and 9. We are pressed on every side by troubles, but we are not crushed. We were perplexed, 
but we were not driven to despair. We were hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we were not destroyed. We were not destroyed. When I was in Israel earlier this year, you know, they have the olive trees and, you know, the olives are a lot of times when they're full, they're laying on the ground. And I didn't know this, but the olive oil looks like blood. Like it looks just like blood. And it will stain your hands. And, and I took this olive up. I'd never seen it like this. I've only seen, you know, olive oil in the, in the bottles. And uh, that's after it's been processed. But I would take a fresh olive and you would squeeze it and out of it would come drops of blood. And I was instantly reminded of the pressing that happened in the garden. That Jesus received a pressing that pressed out even his blood. When he sweat drops of blood, he was under such intense pressure that God sent angels to help him. Did you know that no matter what you face, God will send angels to help you? God's not a respecter of persons, but he sent, he sent supernatural help to Jesus in that garden. And he will send you supernatural help too. That's who he is. But I was reminded as I looked at that, I picked up that olive and I squeezed it. I have a video of it. And it dropped like drops of blood in there. In other words, when we're pressed, when Jesus was pressed, the blood came out of him. So that when we're pressed, the oil of God can come out of us. He Sweat drops of blood. When we're pressed, the anointing comes out of this earthen vessel. It comes out of this, this human body that still has a corruption. But because of our connection with God, the church is supposed to be the one that when the pressure comes on, out on the church, all of a sudden, the anointing comes out. The oil comes out. The oil comes and it starts slaying all the enemies of God. It starts healing sickness and delivering people and setting the captive free we are pressed but we're not crushed we get pressed and the anointing the power of God comes out the hope comes out pressed but not crushed unfazed Colossians 3 12 and 13 it says put on therefore as the elect of God holy and beloved Vows of mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering. And then this is the word that I want you to see. Forbearing one another. Forgiving one another. If any man has a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. I put it in King James just so the word forbearing could be in there. Because that's what I want you to remember. Forbearing. See, many people, they'll get in a job and they'll get in a position and, and they're bearing with someone. But they don't forbear. They put up with it with as long as their flesh wants. And then they're done. I'm done with that person. And they burn the bridge. But he tells us in that first verse, make a choice to be like God. And this is the choice you need to make. That you're unfazed in that relationship. I'll keep smiling. I'll keep, I'll keep loving on you. I'll keep forgetting, forgiving and forgetting. I will forbear with you. How many times? 70 times 7. I will forbear. See, we're unfazed. 
Why do you keep treating me nice? I've cussed you every day for the last three years on this job. Why do you treat me nice? You can say, now, you can say, I'm forbearing you. I'm forbearing you. You don't have to tell them that, but inside you can know. I'm putting on Christ. I'm pressed, but I'm, you're pressing me, but I'm not crushed. The anointing of God is coming out to give you mercy and love. I'm pressed, but I'm not crushed. I want to I snap your neck and I want to cuss you out, but I ain't doing it. I want to tell you that you're number one, but I'm not going to do it. I'm forbearing. We're unfazed. This is what's available for people that will know him. Who do you say that he is? He's the one who gives me the power to forbear you. <laughs> Jesus is the one that gives me power to forbear. Forbearing. Forbearing. Unfazed. Casting off concupiscence. I said this the other day in Impact. And I was, I was praising God. I said it right like four times. I'm like, man, what a word. Concupiscence. Say it with me now. Concupiscence. Yeah, amen. Well, did you feel that little bit of twinge? Like, I hope I say this right as I say it. Yeah, well, you don't have the mic on. Concupiscence. Now, a lot of times people just look at this and all they think about is lust and adultery and stuff like that. Let me read this and then I want to tell you about it that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. In other words, every one of you should know how to keep your body and keep your walk with the Lord sanctified and in honor, not in the lust of concupiscence, even as the Gentiles which know not God. Which know not God. Concupiscence is this. It is the longing for the forbidden. The church is not supposed to be like the ones who don't know God. The church is supposed to be the ones who do know Him. The church is supposed to be the ones who know Him and can forbear and can be unfazed. That the devil can throw stuff at you. And you won't long for the forbidden. You'll long for the holy. In other words, God's telling us right here in this verse, it's not too hard for you to walk holy. Because I'll empower you by the anointing, by the Christ, the anointing, the anointed one and his anointing. I will give you the power to step out of that place, that forbidden place. And you won't even long for it, but you got you to gotta be unfazed by believing on me. The church is a pillar of truth, the salt and light. And you see, all of a sudden, when you, you have friends around and you're like, I don't even long for that stuff. They'll say, how do you do that? I can't not long for it. But you can through Jesus. You see, I know who he is in my life. Who do you say that he is in yours? And this is not necessarily something that you say to somebody, but this is how you walk and you live it out. You say, I'm going to walk out a life that's forbearing. I'm going to walk out a life where I can put away concupiscence, where I can, I can stop longing for what's forbidden. I can put on a life that is full of hope and full of glory and full of the light of God, and the world will see it. I can be pressed by lust. I can be pressed by irritating coworkers. I can be pressed by that person at the stoplight. I can be pressed, but I'm not crushed. 
when I'm pressed because I know who my Lord is. I know who is my Savior. I know who is the anointed one in my life. When I'm pressed, the fleshness and the fleshly blood doesn't come out, but the glory of God comes out of me. I'm pressed, but not crushed. I'm pressed, but I'm not damaged. I'm pressed, and when you press me, the oil of God comes out. Forbearing comes out. When the temptations press on me, I put them away. I'm pressed, but I'm not crushed by it because of Jesus. Unfazed. It's about knowing him and trusting him. Romans 8, 28. And we know, we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to his purpose. And say this with me. And we know. And we know, and we know. See, many people are phased because they don't know. They don't know him. They, they haven't spent time with these scriptures knowing that thanks be unto God who always leads us to triumph in Christ. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good. And when we put faith in a God that we know is working all things together for good. When we put faith in that, what's going to happen? All things are going to start working together for good. When we put faith that we're going to be phased, then you'll be phased. But when you put faith in a God that will keep you, even in this fleshly vessel, he will keep you in the midst of a darkness, in the midst of all the crushing and all the pressure. When all, when all of a sudden yeah, pressure comes and normally it would crush people, it won't crush you. You will be unfazed. You put faith in a God who will keep you from being phased. Romans 8.32, a few verses later, he who did not spare his own son in other words, he didn't hold back Jesus from giving his life for you. Say it with me. Just say, for me. Jesus gave his life for me. Say, the Father gave me Jesus. For me. In all the mess that I had, he gave me Jesus. Now read the rest of it. He who did not spare his own son but he delivered him over for us all. How? Say it with me. How? How will he not also with Jesus freely give us all things? What's he holding back from you? Nothing. If he'd give you Jesus, certainly he'll give you healing. If he'd give you Jesus, certainly he will hold you and upkeep you in the middle of what crushes others. It won't crush you. If he'll give you Jesus, he'll give you finances. If he'll give you Jesus, he'll give you healing. If he'll give you Jesus, he'll give you protection. If he'll give you Jesus, he will restore you. If he'll give you Jesus, he'll deliver you. If he'll give you Jesus, he'll give you himself and in his presence is fullness of joy because in his presence, what can go wrong? In other words, if he'll give you Jesus, he'll give you all of himself. And with everything of God comes every answer. Verse 35. It's about knowing him. Not who do people say that he is. Who do you say? 
that he is? Who do you say that he is? To you. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? See, it's about knowing that nothing we face will separate us from the love of Christ. I can be in the deepest depths. I can be in the worst year on the history of the earth, it feels like. I can be alone by myself, or I can be in the middle of a crowd, scared of people. But what will separate you from his love? See, it's always there, but the question is, do we know it? Do we know him? In order to be unfazed, we got to know him. It can't just be a head knowledge like, okay, yeah, I, I know that that's who he is. No, who is he to you? Peter, who do you say that I am? Church, who do you say that Jesus is? What will separate us? Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Because I know if I've got the love of Christ, it's all over. It's done. If I have the love of Christ, it's finished. And what I put faith in, this will overcome the world. This will overcome the lack. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation? No. Will distress? No. Or persecution? Or famine? Or nakedness? Or peril? Or sword? No. But in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. Through all of that, we're unfazed. Our nature as a conqueror through Jesus Christ never changes no matter what we face. Whether it feels good or feels bad, we're still carrying a conquering nature through Jesus. Through Jesus. And what will separate us from that conquering nature? The only thing that will separate us is if we cut the love off. And what will separate us from his love? Tribulation, no, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, sword, none of these things will separate us from his love. Do we know that? Who do you say that he is in your life? Oh, he's the answer. He's the solution. He's the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. He's my savior. He's my Lord. He's my Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords. There's none greater, nor will there ever be. He has the name above every name. He's the greatest. He's the highest. He's the most powerful. He knows everything. He knows how to keep me. He knows how to save me and heal me and deliver me. That's who he is. And I know it. Do we know it? What will separate us so that when the pressing comes, we're not crushed, but the anointing is released. Verse 38, for I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And if it can't separate us, I'll be unfazed. I'll be a standard and a pillar of the truth of God. We will be a standard and a pillar 
of the truth of God. Because we know him. We know him. It's knowing him. To be unfazed, it's knowing him and it's trusting him. Lord, I trust you. No matter what I see, no matter what I feel, Lord, I trust you. We have to be steady, not worn and weary. Galatians 6, 9 says, And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. To be unfazed, we've got to make a decision. <clears throat> I won't take on weariness. I won't be worn. In Acts chapter 27, around verse 20, it says that Paul was on the boat and it says that death storm was swirling and they had been in it for weeks and weeks and weeks. I know I was on a boat in the middle of the North Atlantic and it wasn't even a storm, but that boat was rocking and I was on it for three days and I was worn. I, I wanted to, I never threw up, but I thought I was going to for three days and it was the worst feeling ever. It was horrible. It was terrible. And all these other Marines that were on that boat with me, they were like having the time of their lives. And I was in the bunk like, oh my gosh. Here Paul was in it for weeks in the middle of a storm. I can tell you after three days, I didn't eat. I didn't want anything to eat. I felt like if I eat anything, it's just going to come right back up. Imagine being in that for weeks. It says this, that in that, it says that all of our hope was gradually abandoned. When I read that one time, I realized this is, the, this is the plan of the enemy. He wants to wear on you and wear on you and wear on you. Come here, buddy. He wants to wear on you. He wants to apply pressure. So his plan, come up here, his plan is to do this. His plan is to put weight on you. And to put weight on you. And see, it doesn't even, if, if he just comes in a full attack, if he just comes in a full attack, right, then we would, we would say no and we'd stand up against it. So he doesn't do that most of the time. He just comes and he adds a little bit of pressure. And then as time goes on, he adds a little bit more. And gradually, he wears and wears and wears and wears. And wears. I'm glad you've been eating good this week. And he wears. See, I'm glad you eat the word. It says the word is our nutrition. And if you're not in the word, then you won't be strong enough to be unfazed. You'll be phased. And all of a sudden, the devil, he keeps on. And see, he can do this for a while, but if I just stayed here, imagine two hours from now, three hours from now, he would not be able to stand. He would not be able to stand. And that's what the devil does. He comes and he tries to put pressure. But see, here's the issue. We got something supernatural that, that the devil doesn't know. He knows about it, but most believers don't actually employ it. Come here, Paul. And so when the devil, here, back up a little bit. When the devil is sitting there, we can say, nothing will separate me from the love of God. And all of a sudden, when we start putting faith that we will not be separated from his love, even in this earthly vessel, even in, even in what we normally couldn't do, there's a supernatural grace that's released to come and help bear the burden. And the devil will be putting on all the pressure that he can. But when we believe, all of a sudden, it's like, I'm not even doing anything. 
and God's supernatural grace that's bigger than you will start to come and uplift you and hold you up. <laughs> that's a step too far. <laughs> I hear Titanic music in my head right now. And in the midst of it, we'll be sitting there and we'll be under a pressure. But the grace of God will be upholding, will be lifting you up. That's stronger than the pressure that the devil can put on you. And that's why I asked for Paul. And that's why I asked for Buddy. The question is, we can be unfazed, but do you know him? And do you trust him? And in the middle of that, have you given yourself to being weary? Or have you given yourself uh, to being worn? Or have you given yourself to trusting and knowing your father? I know him. I know him. I know him. What can separate me from his love? The devil may be bringing pressure, but I will be unfazed. I will be unfazed. Not only will I be unfazed, but 1 Peter 3.15 says this. It says, you need to always be ready to give an account for the hope that is within you. Why would people, did you know that when you put on the hope of God, it starts to preach? But why would people see that you have hope on you? Why would they ever ask a question, why are you so hopeful? Why do you have to be ready to give an account for that? The reason you have to be ready is because they will see you in the middle of oppressing. They won't see the grace and the anointing lifting you up. They'll just see you and they'll see the pressure. They'll see the thing that's trying to get you weary and worn and you'll be standing and you'll have hope and you won't be sad and you won't be worn out and your face won't show the wearing. Your face will show the salt and the light and they might not can see Jesus upholding you. They might not see the anointing and the grace that's lifting you up. They'll just see you and they'll question and ponder and they'll say, how are you doing this? This verse is proof that in the middle of the pressing, we can be hopeful. We can hold our heads high in Christ. I'm pressed, but I won't be crushed. I'm persecuted. I will not be destroyed. I will not be destroyed. I may be challenged, but I will win the victory. I may feel the attack, but I will stand unfazed because of Jesus. I have this hope in him. I know him. I trust him. I am hopeful. And I'm not just a robot. I'm full of life. John 10, 10. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And the Amplified, it says, but I came, Jesus said, I came that they might have and enjoy life and have it in abundance to the full till it overflows. Life will be coming out. Don't be the kind of people that's all sullen and, you know, oh my goodness, like the actors in Twilight series. Like all beat up, oh, I love them so much. You could have fooled me. Look at your face. Well, I love Jesus so much, really. 
Many people in the church have been this way. I love Jesus so much. Oh, he's so dear to me. It's like, well, tell your face and tell your hope and tell the life and tell your joy because all of that's not showing it. We should be full of the life of God, of the joy of the Holy Ghost. The joy, the power, hopefulness, faith. Full of life and unfazed. Does God want you unfazed? As I read these last verses, just listen to it. Hear this. Listen to the unfazed promises that God has given us. The 23rd Psalm. Yea, though I walk through. Say it with me. Through. Through. The valley of the shadow of death. We're not talking about a light place here. A valley of the shadow of death. A, a valley of darkness with death at every breath. And God gives us this promise. You'll walk through. You'll walk through. Ah, death all around me. Shadows, darkness all around me. And as a light, as a hope, as a promise of God's goodness, bringing out and showing the good stuff of God, you'll just walk right through. Why can we do this? Because we know him. I will fear no evil, none. I will fear none, 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 none. No bad report, no doctor report, no bank, uh, no, no creditors calling. I'll believe no, none of those bad reports. I will fear no evil. Doesn't mean that you don't have to make changes in your life and clean up some things. Yes, yeah, you need to clean up some things. Let the Holy Ghost lead you and then do those things. But I'll fear none, no evil. And I'll walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Death all around. Creditors all around. Bad doctor reports all around. But I know him. I know him. I know him. He's my Lord. He's my Savior. And I'm unfazed. I'm unfazed. Why? For your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The rod and the staff represents the leading of the Lord. Stay to the left, stay to the right. Do this, don't do that. And the staff that will beat back, or the rod that will beat back every enemy, every wolf that tries to take out the lamb, it'll beat them back. I know that if I will listen to your direction, to the left and to the right, and I know that if I will go when you tell me to go and stay when you tell me to stay and do this and don't do that, I know that I'll stay right on the path even though I might not have the light on my own. Your word will be a lamp to my feet and a light unto my path. You will show me where to go and I trust you because I know you. You're my Lord and I can walk through this valley with no fear on me whatsoever. I'm not just walking through and like, oh, praise God, I got out of there you know, in fear the whole time. No, I'm walking through with no fear. Your staff is showing me where to go and uh, missing all the pitfalls. And if there's an enemy I can't see, your rod is handling business. You're my great shepherd. I'm unfazed. Take me through every valley you need for me to go through so that I can bring the light to it, Lord. Where's these attitudes? 
The reason why we don't see these attitudes is because we don't truly know him and trust him. We're hearing everybody else say it and we're amening that, but it hasn't become revelation to ourselves. But if it'll get in us and we'll know him, what will separate me from the love of God? Nothing! Then it'll be our revelation of his anointing. Luke 19, 13, he called his ten servants and he delivered them ten pounds and he said unto them, Occupy till I come. This means do the business of God. No matter what you face, you're going to walk through. You're going to occupy. Romans 8, 37, we are more than conquerors. Revelation 12, 11, and they overcame the devil. We are overcomers. And 2 Corinthians 4, 8 and 9, we are pressed but not crushed. Listen to this. We are pressed on every side by troubles, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but we are not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but we are never abandoned by God. Can you see that? Never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. We are the church, a pillar of the truth of God. We're the church, the salt, the light. We are the church who is unfazed unfazed God wants you unfazed he wants you to walk like it live like it run your race like that unfazed because you know him and you trust him he wouldn't give us these promises if they weren't true if he told us this stuff and he never came through he would be unjust and all of this would fall apart but he gave us these promises and we are unfazed Close your eyes for a second. Lord, right now, we just pray. Thank you, Father, for keeping us. We are kept from the evil one according to your word. Thank you, Lord, for keeping us. Lord, we are your church and we are unfazed. We are your church and we are unfazed. Say it with me. Lord, we are your church, and we are unfazed. Strong in the Lord, and in the power of his might. Your joy brings us strength. Thank you, Lord. We are unfazed. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Right now, just as I pray, just start receiving the strength and the anointing of God. Lord, it's not what other people say about you. It's who do I say that you are. It's who do I say that you are. Lord, we need you. We got to have you. Lord, and we're called to live a life unfazed. Now more than ever does the church need us to be unfazed and does the world need us to be unfazed. Lord, let us be your glorious church, unfazed. It's a day to make a commitment to say, Lord, I'm going to get to know you better. I'm going to trust you more. I'm going to walk after you. I'm going to fast. I'm going to pray. 
I'm going to be the light. I'm going to be the hope that you've called me to walk in. I'm going to do those things and I will be unfazed. And I won't just be unfazed for myself. I'll be a testimony to others. I'll be a light in darkness and deep darkness. I'll be a hope that makes no sense. I'll carry a peace that passes understanding. I'll be pressed, but your glory will come out and I won't be crushed. I'll be persecuted, but I won't be abandoned. But see, these things don't just happen because you amen in a Sunday service. These things happen because you make a choice. They happen because you make a choice. And today I'm asking you to make a choice to be unfazed. But it starts by saying, Lord, I'm yours. I can, you can walk unfazed, but you can't do it without Jesus. You got to have them and hear this. I believe most everybody in this room, for the most part, has Jesus. There might be one or two that don't. I believe most do. But here's the issue. Is that relationship current? Is it fresh? Is it alive? Or does it need to be refreshed? In order to walk unfazed, you got to walk in the fresh fellowship with God. And today is the day to reset that. Today is the day to reset that fellowship and be unfazed. And I just ask you right now, if today is your day, if you know the Holy Ghost is calling you right now and he's saying, I want you to refresh that fellowship. I want you to reset that fellowship with God right now. If that's you, if you're online, just put a hand in the comments. If that's you in here, hold your hand up for me to see it right now. I see that. Amen. I'm going to give you a few moments here. Amen. I see that. Glory to God. Just hold them up. Everybody close your eyes. Lord, I need to be refreshed today. I need that fresh fellowship with God. Listen, don't be afraid of God. Don't be afraid of the Lord. We need His help. You can't do it without Him. You can be unfazed, but not without Jesus. And that means having Jesus as a fresh relationship that's constant every single day. If you need that fresh relationship today, I know the Holy Ghost is calling multiple people in here right now. I need a fresh fellowship with God. If that's you, just hold your hand up. I want to pray for you. Just lift it right now. Don't, don't be afraid. Fear no evil. Lord, I need you. I need that fresh relationship today. Amen. See, when you, when you lift your hand and you say, I need that fresh relationship today, here's what's happening. God is saying, I see you, and I see your heart for me enough to make a choice. I see you, and I'm going to help you. There's a beautiful, beautiful truth that when we get serious with God, His seriousness, seriousness is already waiting on us. But we have to reach out. We can't sit back and have this relationship with God and it, it doesn't involve anybody else and it's not public. It's meant to be public. It's Hear this. It's meant to be public. 
I love Jesus and I follow him. He's my Lord. Amen, I see that. He's my Lord. We're meant to stand for something. The world has told us a lie that our relationship is meant to be private and hidden. That's the devil. Why? Because he, he doesn't want the world to see the reason for your hope. This relationship is meant to be public.